0: Welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to talk about tech stocks and what a lot there is to talk about. Most of the big tech companies have been reporting first quarter earnings this week. They've been a mixed bag, but better than expected. Later today, we'll hear from Apple and Amazon. Barron's Deputy Editor, Alex Ewell, joins me on this call to talk about the latest earnings and what they mean for investors. Also, in case you haven't heard, a guy named Musk is buying something called Twitter. I'll bet Alex has some thoughts on that, too. Welcome, Alex. Good to have you back on Varen's Live.
1: Hey, Lauren. Great to be here.
0: And I'll bet you do have some thoughts on that guy and that stock, but we'll get to those in a bit.
1: If you force me to share.
0: <laughs> okay. So when we talked two weeks ago, the NASDAQ Composite, which is a proxy for tech stocks, was down sharply and sinking further. Now it's firmly in a bear market, which is defined as down 20% or more from the high. But today looks pretty sunny for tech stocks. The Nasdaq was up more than 80 points last I looked. Do you think it's too soon to declare the selling over?
1: Um, I do. I, I do think it's probably still a little too soon. I mean, you know, until... Last night's tech earnings, which were better than expected, um, with with Meta Platforms, Facebook parent, kind of leading the way with a with a kind of better than expected report, it, it felt like tech stocks were just really in a dark place with no easy way out. Um, you know, I mean, it was kind of feeling like dot com bust proportions, really, when when you looked at when you looked at it. I mean, the Nasdaq, um, as you said, is is in a bear market. It's only down twenty two percent. From its November record high. So this isn't like, you know, this isn't the late, this isn't the early 2000s um, when the NASDAQ lost 68%, 70% of its value. Um, but I think if you look in certain places of the market, it, it is the dot-com collapse, right? I mean, I, I pulled some names just looking at where we are from 52-week highs, uh, really peaked mm-hmm. stocks, and that was mostly um, sort of mid mid-2021 into the fall of 2021. So if you take these these high flyers from those points, I mean, the numbers are staggering. People probably know them, but it's worth going over a few. All
0: right, hit me up. Tell yeah, me the bad
1: yes, news. I'll give you a list because I made a list of some of them. So Peloton is down 83%. Roku is down 83%. Zoom is down 76%. Pinterest is down 76%. Spotify down 68%. Alex, from-
0: I can't take it
1: anymore. <laughs> Netflix down 73%. So there's a big one. Um, okay. And today alone, and, you know, Teladoc, uh, which is the virtual healthcare provider is down forty-seven percent. So,
0: and I hear Kathy Wood is buying. But anyway, what are the takeaways here?
1: So I think the takeaways are um, that, and, and we've sort of talked about this before. But investors just got got ahead of themselves, and and that to me is where the dot-com bubble comes back into thinking and becomes an important lesson, right? There's this, there was this rush to inflate internet stocks in the late 1990s, and that was just so wrong in the short term, but the market in a lot of ways, if, if you know, did get it right, right? And, and so the market was right in the long-term. Yes, it took, what, 15 years for the NASDAQ to return to its dot-com highs. I'm not sure that's what's gonna happen. This, I, I don't think it's gonna take that long this time, but I think what's happening now is gonna be equally true, right? So the market clearly got the pandemic impact wrong in the short-term when it came to tech and stay-at-home stocks and all of these sort of transformative names. And so now I think we have to ask again, How wrong is it in the long term? Where is it wrong in the long term? So do you think
0: the stocks are oversold? Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, so that's the question. And I wish I had a good answer to that because we'd all be very wealthy in in a few years. Um, I, I think what you have to look at is that none of this really should be that much of a surprise, right? That some of these that the pandemic winners have gotten hurt as the economy reopened. I think it's the the size of the moves that's surprising. I mean, we predicted the the, the weakness we didn't predict and I didn't predict 70 to 80% declines for, for Peloton, Zoom and Netflix. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's what the market does specifically around technology, which is so driven by, by hype and opportunity and disruption, you know, things change very fast and, and the market reacts very fast. So now, yeah. Are there buying opportunities in that list? Um, you know, I, I've been forced to sort of put aside my optimism around Peloton cause they just can't seem to, to, to get things really fixed right now operationally. Um, it is, it is a beleaguered stock. I think it's down to 20 bucks. Um, I still think there is value in Peloton, if not whether they get it fixed. You know, someone could buy it at a bit of a premium. So, I mean, I, that's one name. It's hard to see continued losses, but but I I'm, I've kind of gotten a little skittish around there. Um, I to you me understand
0: Zoom, that.
1: <laughs> yeah, to me Zoom is still a transformative company um, with a brand that's just ubiquitous. Uh, you know, I mean we Zoom now. It kind of doesn't matter what platform we're on. I, I, I kind think
0: like Xerox and Kleenex. It's it's the
1: Exactly, it's, and that's the
0: noun for the.
1: Yeah, and interestingly, that's not always good for the actual business. I think we've learned, right? Because it suggests there've been so many copycats that it's been commoditized to a degree. So that's that would be the worry with Zoom. Um, you know, I guess among that list, I think Shopify and Netflix still feel like the um, the brands that can last. We can talk a little bit more about about Netflix later and what went wrong there. Um, I think we will find opportunities in these names down the road. Um, and if I ha- if you force me to choose some of those, uh, I think Shopify and Netflix would be um, the ones I would gravitate to.
0: Well, thanks for that. I think we should also note that tech stocks get slaughtered when interest rates rise, particularly high growth stocks with, with future earnings. The earnings are worth less today in a rising rate environment. And that's a big part of what happened here.
1: Absolutely. Um, that, that, yeah. is, that is absolutely part of it. Um,
0: In addition to the end of um, the end of shutdowns and people coming back into the real world.
1: Perfect storm to use the cliche. Of yes. yes.
0: <laughs> so big tech has also had its struggles, but they haven't been quite as bad. Give us an update on the bang stocks and what's been happening there.
1: Yeah, I think with the FANGs, it's a little more complicated. I mean, the numbers, they, they look like uh, huge winners compared to the list I just read. But um, the FANGs, for the most part, you know, and it's become very fashionable to, to note that the FANGs have lost their bite. So there's another uh, cliche. Another
0: cliche for, for you.
1: Um, big tech, but big tech, really, it, it has underperformed the NASDAQ, which is not something um, we're used to seeing, right? So not by a lot, but most of them are sort of down more than the NASDAQ. Alphabet is down 23% from its highs. Amazon is down 25%. Meta, which we all know has really blown up, Um, even with today's post-earnings rally, that stock is down 49% from its highs. Um, So, you know, you have, they're all sort of clustered around the NASDAQ, and then you have the standouts being Meta down double the NASDAQ, and then Apple, amazingly, down half the NASDAQ for the most part. Apple is down 12%. From its highs. So that's a major win. Um, 12% doesn't feel great if you're holding Apple, but compared to the other options, if you've been a tech investor, Apple's really held up quite nicely.
0: So, Alex, I want to talk about Meta, which just reported this week. Before I do, I will remind listeners we'll take questions at the end of the call. So please send them to us. Meta is rallying. It had better than expected earnings. Barron's rather nicely laid out its problems in last weekend's cover story by our colleague, Eric Savitz. And I couldn't help but wondering, are those problems magically solved in the yeah. past few days? It's It's been quite a turnaround for the stock. It, you
1: know, it, what happened?
0: Why are investors suddenly enthusiastic?
1: It has. There are lots of ways to look at today's rally. Um, I'm looking right now. It's up 14 wow. uh, percent aftermarket. Yesterday, after the report, I think it was up uh, in in late trading as much as twenty percent. So you know, it's come back a little bit off of that. But yes, a very good day for Meta. Now, it's still only I think gaining back what it's lost in the last in the previous six trading days, right? So this is still far from um, you know a a fix. It's not gaining anything. You know, it's not. It's still down hugely from its last fourth quarter report, which was so problematic. I think what's happening, um, the numbers were. You know, earnings I believe were a bit better. Revenue was okay. uh, Earnings being a little bit better than expected. Revenue was okay. I really do think what mattered most here to investors, well, a couple things. the The earnings report showed that the business wasn't in free fall, and so you had this contrast because the stock's been in free fall. So if the if the business is not in free fall, there had to be sort of this this corrective, and I think that's what's happening today. So the fact that things are not quite as bad as seemed. Expectations were just so low. Um, you know, it's always weird to say that investors expected worse than expectations, but that's where, <laughs> right. That's where we were. It's very meta, Alex. It's very meta, how appropriate. So yeah. that's where we were. Um, and so that's why I think you're getting this relief rally. I do think the good news, uh, um, you know, pushing back on the free fall bit is f- for Facebook, is that the user numbers... Um, were for the quarter, specifically the Facebook user numbers, um, were up 6% year over year to 1.96 billion um, active wow. users. And so that's a huge number. Facebook always has huge that's numbers. That's
0: a huge proportion of the world when you think about it. It is.
1: Um, and which is what makes it so challenging for them to continue to grow. The reason that that gain is so important, though, is because in the December, and that's, by the way, it's up 6% year over year. And it's up like a smidge from the, the three months ago. And that, that sequential gain, I think, was what made all the difference. I mean, we could debate this, and I'm sure everyone has their reasons. But to me, that sequential gain on users is what showed that people were not you know, just running away from the platform. In December, part of what got people so worried, in addition to their advertising struggles and their battles with Apple over privacy standards, what really, I think, worried investors was that the number of users for Facebook actually slipped. A a little bit, like not a lot, but a a very little bit. And that is not something that anyone who's invested in Facebook is used to see. So the fact that they were up a little bit um, quarter to quarter was a very good sign. And I think really probably the biggest the biggest takeaway here. Um, And, you know, if users are holding in. That's kind of the foundation that you need to see if you're a longer-term investor that says, okay, maybe now they do have time to fix these these advertising issues, to address the privacy uh, issues and target ad- advertising targeting issues that Apple has created for them. And longer-term, if if users hang in, maybe Mark Zuckerberg really can find a way to make the metaverse work, which you know by the way he said on the call last night really won't kick in as a business until I think 2031. So. Talk about long-term, but again, if you're, if right now, if it's you're a huge bet, it's a huge, it's a huge bet. And if you're Facebook and you're able in the meantime to hold on to your user base, then suddenly investors say, oh, okay, I'll give you a little, I'm going to give you a little more, you know, um, rope. I'm going to, I'm going to give you some time to fix these things. So that mm-hmm. I, I think is really, um, what's important here. And of course the stock had gotten dirt cheap. I mean, what was it like 15 times earnings? If I remember. So they, hardly a growth stock at that point. Right. Not trade. Exactly. So um, and it still doesn't look like a growth stock, given that revenues are likely to be flat next quarter. But again, it's all it's all b- so much bad news was built in. I think that's what you're seeing today. And if and if I'm a Facebook executive, I guess um, I'm feeling maybe a little bit better that I'm going to have some time to do the things I want to do. As
0: mm-hmm. long as they can keep the user numbers up. So it right. seems interesting. It seems that user numbers once again have been the theme this earning season for tech. Would you
1: say that so? So I think this is the key takeaway uh, from sort of two weeks of earnings so far for for tech companies. Um, You know, it's we've spent so long for on these tech businesses that were in growth mode focused on user numbers. They grow scale and then investors say, "Okay, keep doing that. I'll keep bidding your stock up and eventually you'll be able to turn that into profits. And so you kind of expect that from a growing area. Um, But at some point, I think we all figured that user numbers would give way to kind of the actual business, right? And so uh, you would grow the user base, and then you would show me the profits. Um, That's still that transition, which I think I would have expected by now still doesn't seem to be happening. And I think this earnings season has really shown that. So, um, you know, we saw that that was the, the big thing with Netflix last week. I mean, this is Netflix has become a real business now producing real, you know, profits and cash flow. Um, you could argue they're spending way too much and that therefore their profits should be better. That really wasn't what caused the stock to crater, right? What's causing the stock to crater was the fact that their user numbers missed for the last quarter and that they guided to a huge miss for the current quarter. Um, So, and we also saw that with Spotify yesterday. The stock got got killed because its user uh, growth numbers, its subscriber numbers weren't good enough. We're seeing that with Meta on the other side today, um, and then we're even seeing that with Comcast, uh, the uh, the old school cable company, right? That stock last I looked was down 8% today. And the, the reason seems to be that um, broad its broadband subscriptions weren't as strong as expected. So, you know, I think this is really, it just, it's a reminder that these are still businesses um, that need to show scale. They need to show interest. Um, and if you're investing in them, you're still not quite as worried about the fundamental part of like pro- the bottom line, and I think that's really interesting. Um, there was an inter- a great note from Craig Moffat today, uh, who's a long uh, a long time respected cable analyst. He covers Comcast, and he wrote, and I'll just quote this: "The real lesson from Netflix and from last night's print from Meta is that it's the subscribers stupid. Subscribers, subscribers, subscribers." I think so we I get sorry. the point. <laughs> so I think we should keep that keep that in mind um, uh, as as we. You know,
0: It's interesting when the consumer begins to add up all of the subscription services, it's quite a lot of money for many households, particularly at a time when gas and groceries are suddenly costing a lot more. Do you think that's an
1: issue here? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, subscription fatigue um, has always been a risk and a question for for all of these businesses as they transition away from, um, as we transition the way we buy things. Now, I Mm -hmm. think you're right that... That the costs add up, but I think you do have to think about the shift in the, in the kind of in the spends when you, when you, when you do that analysis. So, right. We, for many years, 95% of the country had cable television. Those numbers, that penetration has fallen, but people were spending anywhere from you know probably hundred dollars to $250 when you combine cable and broadband. So if you, if you cut your video cord, um, you're opening up a lot of that budget. If you cut your um, $50 to take a family of four to see a movie on Saturday night. Well, that's true. Every week that frees up a lot of that budget. So that's been the promise of subscriptions um, that they are a more efficient way almost of allocating value costs, everything across the board if they were a win-win for the the provider and that they were a win for the consumer. I, I still believe in that. Analysis as a business, um, but I think you're right that you know you start adding them up and you, and you you see how many providers you're paying fifteen dollars to ten dollars to a month, and you're like, hmm, maybe I need to be cutting back. And you know I think we may get back to a world where things we still have subscriptions, but things are a little less a la carte and more back to being bundled where the numbers might be they might add up to the same thing, but you're only making one payment of eighty dollars a month as opposed to Five payments of $15 a month.
0: I see an opportunity for a business here in the bundling.
1: Well, ironically, it might be called cable, but. but
0: yeah. <laughs> ironically, indeed. So. so, what other themes came out of this quarter? It seemed to me that cloud computing continues to impress. What else looked interesting to you?
1: Yeah. So, um, absolutely. I mean, the cloud just keeps working. That I think is going to be the it's a big positive takeaway. Um, Eric, Eric Savas points that out in his story yesterday, wrapping up earnings from both Microsoft and Google. Uh, you know, Microsoft did very well with its overall report, Alphabet, Google parent Alphabet, not so well with its overall report, but the, the common thread for both of them was that their cloud businesses are still doing amazingly well, growing like 30, 40, 50%, um, you know, year over year. So I think, um, I think that's, that's a big takeaway. I would say another takeaway, and this this touches on the Netflix stuff, um, but it also touches on Alphabet. Alphabet's big problem in the quarter was YouTube, interestingly, um, and so you combine that with Netflix's big problems, and I think there's like this video thing going on. Now, maybe some of it is that subscription fatigue we were just talking about, but but I think it goes further, and I think we should be asking ourselves, you know, are we at peak video, or, or so to speak? Now. Some of it may be that people are just going to TikTok. So you're watching, people are watching less videos on YouTube because they're making and watching other people's TikTok videos. I think that's plausible. It doesn't to me explain the Netflix issue, though. I just don't see a short TikTok video as a replacement for a, a 30 minute or, or hour long scripted TV show. So, you know, I, I think it's a little bit bigger than that. And, 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 I think really people have have gotten a bit tired of screens, right? And that may be a positive for society, but I do think it's become worrisome for a lot of the pandemic companies from from Zoom to Peloton to Netflix. Um, So I would would think that's something worth watching um, in terms of how video and our willingness to pay for video right now plays out.
0: Interesting. So we have a bunch of questions coming in, and I want to get to them. But before I do, I promised our listeners that you would have some thoughts on Elon Musk and Twitter. Twitter reported earnings, I believe, this morning. Am I yeah, right?
1: They did, if you can call them that. But yes. Right,
0: right. And they're not making a big deal out of them because he's going to take the the company private. So what happened in the first quarter is the past. But give us an update on the deal. Where do things stand? How's the stock trading? Is exactly. it likely to go through?
1: yeah um, so I guess first of all I should just in fairness disclose that you know I I, I, I was skeptical that this thing uh, would come together when when he first made his disclosure of share ownership and then a few weeks later he uh, put out his letter offering to buy the company and then ultimately they came to an agreement I'm still kind of in this state of, of shock that we are where we are so part of me still doesn't think this thing is over until it's until it's over um, it hasn't closed. They're saying that it will close, I think, by October. A lot can happen between now and then. Elon Musk will continue to tweet about Twitter. He said some potentially you know, incendiary things about Twitter employees in recent days, which one could argue violates a clause in their merger agreement about not saying bad things about Twitter. Now, I don't think Twitter is going to blow up the deal because of that. If they want the deal, they're going to go through with the deal. But you know this is such a volatile situation um you know who knows what could still happen in terms of how wall street is um looking at it i mean I, twitter today is up a little bit it's trading just under fifty dollars so that's what ten percent uh, or so below the deal price of 54.20 i think for the most part ARBs, the arbitrages are still betting that this thing goes through Probably the more important number to watch in terms of how likely the, the deal is, is, is Tesla stock because it, mm-hmm. it forms a such a big part of how Elon Musk is financing the deal using his shares there as both collateral and also most likely for the cash for for his debt and then also for the, the cash that he's looking to raise. Um, so Tesla's down 4% today to $847. Um, it's basically down, lost a quarter of its value uh, since early April when this all started. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I think we, we have a lot of disagreement, actually, even in the newsroom yes, about, we do. about how problematic this is if you're a Tesla investor. I mean, if you ask me, there's just to me, there's no upside for Tesla right now. I mean, what for a Tesla investor, right? I guess maybe free marketing for Tesla, more marketing for Tesla via musk on um on twitter but other than that you have a potentially more distracted um ceo and this isn't taking away from musk he's you know he's a genius but like does why would you if you're only buying tesla want him to be dealing with twitter so that seems like a negative there's pressure on the stock because he'll have to sell there is the potential for margin calls if things go wrong at at um Tesla at any point and therefore he has to sell because he has to raise um, he has to raise more money to, to, to meet the margin calls. I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, you know the Twitter numbers this morning were sort of, as you said, I mean they were very spare. They didn't put out guidance because why, why would they? They canceled their earnings call because you know there's nothing to talk about right now other than the deal. And um, the numbers they did put out, I'd say were fine. Um, coming back to the user growth numbers, the good news there is that Twitter wasn't, didn't shed users in the latest quarter. I think they were uh, they were slightly better than expected. 229 million users versus like a 227 million estimate.
0: That's because everyone was up on Twitter tweeting about the deal.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, big events do seem to help Twitter to some. Yeah. Degree. You know, I, I would just point out since we talked about Facebook's numbers, it's still I think it's important to keep Twitter in perspective. Um, Elon Musk is paying forty-four billion dollars for this business, and it's when you think about it compared to Facebook, like it is just—it's tiny. Now, obviously, its impact isn't tiny, but um, but its user base versus Facebook is just so small. Um, you know, it's like one tenth of it. So that's that's interesting to me. I, I will remain fascinated by this deal. Um, I'm still skeptical, but I've been proven wrong so so far.
0: All right. So we have a bunch of listener questions and I'm going to go first to the one involving another stock that you were positive about, but proven wrong. And that is Peloton. You've already discussed that to some degree, Yeah. but um, thanks for your comments on Twitter and Musk, by the way. But Lee asks a question, and I think I've wondered about this myself. He says, my question is why can't Peloton make a profit? Its business isn't that complicated. It doesn't need that many employees. What is the reason that's keeping the company from earning money? you have right. any idea there?
1: Well, so if I think, and I, I might be mistaken here, but I do think in the, the heady days of the pandemic, I do think they were turning a profit. I can pull that up quickly. Um, or at least some version of an adjusted
0: profit. Right, but not not enough of a profit so to really say, wow, this company's a cash machine. machine.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I asked CEO, the founder and now Depart- uh, departed CEO or uh, chairman, John Foley, this question several years ago, and their answer was, well, if you take out, you know, the way a typical founder might answer that question, well, if you take out the areas where we're investing, we are making a profit on our core business, we're making a profit. So I think, you know, I think the, the answer is the same reason most young tech companies don't make a profit, which is that they're focused on scale. Um, you know, they had a lot to build up from a, um, from a technology standpoint. Their technology, for all you while we can say that to criticize the company is quite good Um, and they spent two and three years adding more and more types of content and hiring more and more instructors and these instructors became stars so they had to pay them more and more. Um, You know, it's not so different from from what Netflix spent two decades doing. Um, Right, it's
0: a different form of entertainment. You still have to pay up for content.
1: If you had to pay up for content, and if you had asked them, they would have always called themselves a content company. I think where they got in trouble um, during, you know, in the last few months is that while they want to be a content company with all the benefits of being a content company, at the end of the day, they were also making pretty expensive hardware that they had to sell. So they went from like, you know, not having enough bikes and treadmills to pumping out too many of them, to, to buying a a, a various fulfillment facilities they bought pre-core which makes um exercise equipment to suddenly having way too much of it and then having to figure out how they're going to get rid of it and they sort of got caught between this content company and hardware company uh model where they were instead of having the best of both worlds they were having the worst of of all worlds it would be the way i uh, i would see it so i I think i guess tomorrow if they wanted to say okay we're only going to do. 10 classes five classes a day they're all going to be on the bike maybe a few on the treadmill we're going to cut back on the the weightlifting stuff you know presumably they could find a way to turn a profit if they had to and and maybe if things get bad enough or you know if private equity gets interested or something like that that's what they ultimately do um but I, i you know i think they at least under their under John Foley, the plan was to scale up, to scale up, to add more and more value to their $40 a month subscription, um, which, by the way, they finally moved to, I think, $44 a month, which was something he always said they wouldn't do. So they're trying to push lots of levers, um, and it's, it's we'll see whether any of it can work.
0: It's been a challenge for sure. So we have two questions from Isla and Rajan, and I will combine them. They want to know about the outlook for semiconductors. The stocks are pretty beaten up. And what's the short term outlook? What's the longer term outlook in your view?
1: Yeah, well, so our uh, our newly returned colleague, Tay Kim, who covers uh, chip stocks, um, we just had this conversation the other day. Um, and he's been, you know, getting bullish on these names on the, on the way up, and I think was really right about them. And, and he sees plenty of reasons for concern um, for the chip sector right now, uh, largely because of also probably pandemic supply chain-related issues where there was such demand for consumer products that you're now going to sort of see the other side of that. And and these companies, these chip makers, which scaled up and are now going to be dealing with some inventory overhang going forward, whether it's in video game systems, PCs, maybe even you know mobile phones and tablets and such. So I think the answer um, from someone who knows that, space better than I do is um, there's reason for for there's still reason for work.
0: That's for sure. So we are we are happy to welcome take him back to Barron's yes, we are, yeah.
1: Lots of good stuff on that space, I'm sure. So watch uh right. watch for that.
0: So Raj asks, he notes that the subscription base is a big issue these days for a lot of these tech companies. And he wonders whether part of that may be due to the war in Ukraine. Do you have any sense of that?
1: Um, sorry, uh, whether.
0: You know, the the um, maybe
1: the growth in subscriptions
0: in for some of the social media companies.
1: Oh, well, I guess so. I'm not sure whether Rush, Rush is asking whether the ac- people actually in Ukraine or Russia are, are, in, are hurting the numbers. I think a lot of companies have put out um, disclosures on that, you know, it, explaining the numbers and how they've changed i think Spotify's talked about that some metas talked about that some um, what have they generally said you know I, I feel like the numbers are usually small enough that it's easy to write them off and I, and I want to be very sensitive in saying that obviously it's 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 um i don't want to say we're writing they're, they're, they're suggesting they're writing off the people in ukraine but it just it, it's like one percent or something so it's not it's not a number you would think would move the needle i, I do wonder whether there is this sort of more, this bigger psychological factor going on, which is reality has been pretty ugly lately, right? I mean, obviously we dealt with the pandemic, but there was a way in which you could sort of um, buckle down, stay at home and feel safe by watching Netflix um, and kind of just being able to put aside the pandemic, hopefully for the most part. I feel like maybe the, the, the Russia, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine changes that dynamic a little bit. I, I you know, I, I have no idea, but maybe there is something going on there where people, it's become a little bit harder to just watch fictional accounts of shows when the world feels just like such a scary and,
0: and a lot more dangerous. than dangerous
1: it right even now. Yeah. Um, now I, I don't know. You'd think then that would be showing up in the numbers for for CNN, and I'm sure they've gotten boosts from this stuff, but we all know how how much CN, that CNN Plus didn't exactly work. So, you know, I don't know. That's... Um, that's a good
0: that's- question and probably merits further investigation. Yeah. So, all right. Um, Steve asks a question. He says, I know it's hard to predict the future. Isn't that true, Steve? Who would have imagined, for instance, that Elon Musk would buy Twitter? But do you think, he asks you, Alex, that second and third quarter numbers will be as challenging and that tech stocks won't recover until maybe the fourth quarter. That's what he's hearing from analysts. What are you hearing?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you gotta imagine um, things start looking better. Although again, like if we bring it back to quarterly numbers I think it's more important to be thinking about the sentiment and with whether sentiment will feel better in the second quarter and third quarter. Versus the actual fundamentals. I mean, yeah, the com- the comparisons have been tough for a lot of these companies, and for some of the ones we listed early on, certainly the earnings have been the problem. But I don't I don't think it's fully earnings that are an issue necessarily for for like the Nasdaq right now. I think it's multiple compression and and just um, it's the sentiment and and like you mentioned the interest rates. So um, maybe if. Um, I do think you know the reason for being optimistic for that for for Steve's question would be if uh, if you start seeing some kind of uh, leveling out or plateauing in in the ten-year yield, say, um, maybe tech stocks start working and growth stocks start working again by by sort of the middle to end of the year, and I think there's reason to be hopeful on that, right? Because investors will have priced in interest rate hikes into bond yields and therefore you know you could see that plateauing to some degree
0: right The cycle will be well underway for rate hikes yes so i'm going to close with another question of lee's because it relates to multiples which you've just been discussing because assuming the tech outlook in general is strong or at least positive in terms of revenue growth the real question is what kinds of price earnings multiples the market will be assigning to the strongest tech companies right and in the past two years, P's were maybe up in the 30s on average.
1: Yeah. I think. The,
0: que- the question is, what lies ahead? As you noted, Facebook was 15 times earnings recently. That's a long way down from where it had been. What do you think these stocks could average over the next year or so?
1: Yeah. So I guess the way I would... The easiest way for me to think about that is, is to take Apple, um, which spent years trading in sort of the low to mid-teens um, on a forward P.E. basis, right? And, and today, or last I remember looking, Apple had gotten up into the, into the low 30s. So it had sort of more than doubled. And yes, the business had changed. They moved a bit from some of their hardware-based business to be more of a services recurring revenue company. So I think they deserved some of that multiple increase for sure. But um, but I, I think the answer is that it's a great question. I would like kind of split the difference. Uh, so if, if if a company like Apple was trading in the in the um, low teens, which we always said at Barons just made no sense and was way too low, mm-hmm. probably thirty in the thirties, the high twenties um, for a, for a steady grower like Apple probably also doesn't make sense. So um, I think that will remain a headwind for for a good bit of time for uh, for tech companies. Now, of course, if we get back to this idea of scale and over time, the tech business is really growing into themselves. Um, if they grow at, with the rate of earnings, as you would think a, a company should over time, maybe the multiples don't matter quite as much, right? Because they grow into their multiples and earnings continue to head higher. Um, and so therefore the stocks continue to work. But just getting the juice from like a multiple expansion, it does, um, for Lee's question, it does seem like that may not happen um, or we may be past that part of the cycle for, for some time.
0: Well, you also get the law of large numbers, how much more. can grow?
1: Right. That's, that's true. I guess big tech has shown the law of large numbers has not applied for a long time. So maybe that, maybe that returns as well.
0: I think the bottom line for Alex and for Steve is that, the lofty Ps of the past two years may not return too quickly, but yes. that doesn't that doesn't mean that the stocks are going to sink to value-based multiples either.
1: Right. And outside of probably Meta, which which certainly has. But yes, I, I would agree right. with that.
0: Okay. Let's leave it there today, Alex. A lot to think about, a lot to talk about. And big news coming today from Apple and Amazon after our call. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing your views, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in today and for all your great questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, Upstart Collabs founding partner, Laura Callinan will speak with Penta senior writer, Abby Schultz, about the group's initial impact investments in the creative economy through its member community of arts institutions, artists, and funders. Thanks so much again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.